My friends, you have joined me once again for an episode of The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. Oh man, we are fixing to have a series of the most exciting thing going on in cannabis today. That's right, the next several episodes are Hempisodes! Yes, Hemp Hemp Hooray! That's right, everything Hemp we're going to discuss in these next several episodes. We've already got some recording. We're recording others. And it is just going to be dramatic. I am so excited about what's to come. We, we talk to people all over the country. They're involved with hemp operations from mom and pop style. They're just investing their few hundred dollars to get their seed money together to some of the biggest names in the industry that are making the publicly traded companies making millions and millions of dollars on CBD. We talk to formulators. We talk to extractors. We talk to people making in-use products. We talk to some of the best name brands. We talk to some dreamers. We talk to some farmers. We talk to some livers. Well, not to their livers, but people living life, living hemp. And, and that's why we're so excited about these hemp episodes. My first involvement with hemp was with this great book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. If you haven't gotten it, you need to get it. Jack Kara wrote this book. He is a cannabis icon. Many of you might not even know his name. Unfortunately, he passed several years ago. And, and man, Jack was just an incredible, credible cannabis warrior and just, you know, loved and promoted cannabis and LSD, uh, but cannabis mostly through this book, um, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And he turned us all on to the hemp conspiracy. Now, okay. My crowd, you guys listening to us, me, you might be a little bit more uh, 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 softened to the word conspiracy, but there really was an organized derailment of the hemp industry in the early 19th century. It was an organized effort in order to suppress uh, hemp production for paper and all its other great, great things it could use with the oils, with the cellulose. Uh, at the time... Uh, paper-based products were just being um, developed. They just had chemical processes for these paper-based, tree paper-based products. That's what I mean, tree paper-based products. Chemical processes to take apart the trees in a, in a more efficient manner, highly pollutive, but these were patented processes and, and they made this nice white bleach paper and that's what everybody wanted to promote and 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 hemp it was uh it was it was demonized because it was so easy there weren't any patents to make the the paper and it was a very competitive environment jack's book he theorized he said he states he, he with 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 tons of information in this book reprinted articles he states that they came against hemp called it marijuana and banned cannabis sativa they said that Marijuana was driving the youth crazy, that um, Mexican people were coming across the border and doing vile things to Americans. It was this very, like, demonized drug. But the interesting part, at the time, they classified cannabis two different ways. They classified as cannabis indica, which was any of the drug cultivar. And you can look in any of the literature about cannabis and hemp, and you can see back pre-prohibition you know, in the U.S., pre-1930s, 
it was always called this cannabis indica and they talked about it as a drug cultivar. And then hemp was always cannabis sativa, right? And so, so what they did in the U.S., Jack identifies the key players in this, Hearst being one, because he, he was interested in, in printing better papers, the yellow journalism, his yellow papers. He wanted them white. They classified hemp as marijuana. They said, hey, the cannabis sativa, that's what we're going to ban. But they knew full and well at the time that cannabis sativa meant hemp, and cannabis indica is a drug cultivar. They knew that full and well at the time. But they knew they needed to ban the hemp. And the only way they were going to do it was that they disassociated it from the farmers and called it something different, marijuana. This was before Google, man. This is before you could look shit up easy. And, you know, that's the overall conspiracy. Now, hey, man, it was just business people putting together business relationships and using lobbyists and media to accomplish their goals. Same thing goes on today, even more so. So you can call it a conspiracy or you can call it just like big, big business, whatever you want. But that effectively made cannabis indica illegal. Now, in the 70s, there was another Supreme Court loss hearing that said, no, I'm growing cannabis. Someone said, no, I'm growing cannabis indica. This isn't cannabis sativa. You've 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 banned cannabis sativa. This is cannabis indica. And that's when the definition changed, which became all parts of the plant, cannabis seeds, flowers and stems. And they ruled at the time that cannabis indica was cannabis sativa. And, you know, this guy, he, he didn't win his case. He, you know, he, he, he didn't win. He lost. And ever since then, we've had this now confused debate over, do you like cannabis sativa or cannabis indica? Every time you go into dispensary, cannabis indica. Oh, I like indica. Oh, I like sativa. Well, the fact of the matter is the newest and the latest genetics say that hemp is cannabis sativa and all the rest of the drug cultivars are cannabis indica. Just like Jack points out in his book, the emperor wears no clothes. So it's a beautiful thing now that hemp has overcome the stigmatism of being related to the evil, evil cannabis indica. Ha 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 ha. And it's now, uh, it's now been federally legalized through the farm bill. People are gearing up to grow hemp all over the country. Now, as I record this, this is about the middle of March. We just had St. Patrick's Day. And I'll tell you, at my store at Cultivate Colorado, we, we supply hemp and cannabis people all over the country, all over the world, really. We have sold so many grow plugs for planting hemp seeds that it is unreal. Millions and millions of units. It's nuts. I heard a stat just yesterday, a seed company out of Oregon, they opened up their sales yesterday and they had problems with their site and there might've been some hackers involved, but they still did like, man, like $8 million an hour in seed sales. Like the, the enthusiasm for hemp and, and the people planning it has never been at this scale in the U S and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe back years and years ago, it was industrial hemp and those thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. But right now, there's never been more hemp planted 
And the beauty of it is it's actually for, they're planting it for cannabinoids and they're not planting it for industrial uses. That's right. The farm bill, the industrial use bill basically legalized us to grow plants for CBD extraction. So as long as the plant is now defined as under 0.3%, three-tenths of a percent of THC or less, it is considered hemp. Over three-tenths, four-tenths, five-tenths, and now that's considered ganja. So it's a, it's a fine, fine line, and you don't want to be like some people that have been caught with truckloads in uh, uh, Oklahoma or in, in Idaho, and their loads have been considered hot. They've been considered THC, ganja, because it has 0.4 or 0.5, which is totally ridiculous, but that's the new law. Man, we're going to discuss this and so much others. It is just amazing at what's going to happen here in these next several episodes. You know, on these episodes, we're going to do something a little bit different. I've got a co-host that's come in, Justin Jones, a good friend of mine. We've had him on the show before. He's been around the cannabis circles, the legal cannabis circles since 2009, right at the beginning. He's worked with all the big players. He knows everybody. And he's involved with a bunch of hemp stuff right now. So I felt it was perfect for him to come and uh, be my co-host on these next several episodes. Now, we have all types of guests, but today's guests, we're going to talk to Brett Terry. Now, Brett works for Front Range Biosciences currently, and, and they're a, a cannabis and coffee genetics company out out of denver here great company lots of lots of cool products check them out he's also from alabama and we talked to brett today about what's going on in alabama and the potential of hemp in the u.s it's a great episode you get to really get a a picture of what a company like front range biosciences is thinking about hemp in the country today so join us for this episode On the Real Dirt Podcast, if you like this episode or you haven't listened to others, please download them at therealdirt.com or go to our iTunes account and subscribe. Go there right now. Go to iTunes. Download it on your phone. Subscribe to The Real Dirt. Realdirt.com. Love you guys. Enjoy these hemp episodes. Hemp episodes. Here we go. Hey, this is Chip from The Real Dirt. Hey, this is Justin at The Real Dirt. Yeah, man, my first co-host. I mean, you're now your co-host now. I know. This is like second episode. Hey, this is Chip from The Real Dirt, my co-host, Justin Jones. Hey. Yeah, good to see you today, Justin. How you doing? Very good, very good. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Well, me and Justin have been on a uh, hemp Feast, feasting on all things hemp, whether it is a CBD, smokable hemp, hemp conversation. And last week's episode, we talked to uh, our good buddy, Mike, who uh, sells hemp. Oh, look at this. And, uh, and I've just been passed a smokable hemp cigarette, a company called Hemp Cigarettes. And uh, yeah, we're just going to... I think gonna... it's... Uh... Oh, it's... Uh... OG. 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 These guys are in Oregon. Out of Oregon. Yeah, nice there's little package So there's here. these awesome stores that are exactly like a... But a CBD ga- store. As a ganja. Yeah, they're exactly the same as a ganja store, but it's all hemp. 
I got these cigarettes. I got some lavender soap. I've gotten. Uh, I don't like they, the they filter have buds. They but, have it, but, but see, I'm a cigarette smoker. So, so yeah, I'm a tobacco yeah. smoker. Oh so. God, I can't even have. I have a a cohost that's the tobacco smoker. <laughs> well, I, you know, these are gonna are helping me not uh, not smoke. T- yeah, tobacco yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, man, I've got a couple of uh, smokable hemp projects I've been working on. I hadn't quite. I'm yeah. not quite talking about them yet, but uh, yeah, I think this is smokable hemp. One of the frontiers of hemp right now. It's different from extractable hemp. It's far more like ganja. People are doing a bunch of different ways from hemp cigarettes to actually like pounds of of, of flour that look like yeah. old school cannabis, really. The, the stores that I've been in in Oregon, it just it looks like you take this really nice mm-hmm. looking cannabis and uh, you sell it. Roll They're it selling up. it the same way. They're I selling know, it by the gram. Great, They're selling dude. loose. Oh, so, man. So on last week's episode, we talked to Mike from uh, iHempX and... Talked about how to get seeds and, and and how many people are growing cannabis and the interest in uh, hemp all over the country and, and where to start. And one of the questions I asked him were, what were some of the small farmers and the, the large farmers? And we talked about like how this is a really great opportunity for small farmers. So yep. I, I thought I'd get a small farmer on the phone with us today. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, where is this small farmer located? Dude. Alabama. Ooh, right. Alabama has just legalized or just passed a law allowing you to grow hemp. Uh, they had a short registration period for the year of 2019. And my good buddy, Brett Terry, he's got a license. He got it. So it, it was it limited? Limited It licenses? wasn't limited license. But you just but had to do it in he, this window. Yeah, exactly. Like a month, one month window. If right? you did, so if you didn't get your app and your money in and that probably month, not. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and it's later on in 2019, if it's after February 22nd of 2019, you cannot apply for a license for 2019 after February 22nd in Alabama. But hey, man, in Tennessee, they had to do a similar thing. I think their their cutoff was around the same time. And is it because the government just doesn't have the resources to process that much paperwork, or uh, are they worried about? Because the, the other thing I'm hearing, control hearing, of it too. Well, the thing I'm hearing in Northern California and in Central California is if farmers convert too many acres, then what was it taken away from? Is it going to destroy yeah, the sure. avocado, you know, industry in California? Is it going <laughs> to, I think uh, that industry is just fine, but yeah, I well, get what right, you're but you know, if they lose, <laughs> but if they lose a hundred thousand acres to, you know, a predominantly to another crop, crop right. then what is that going to do? You know, for that, right. it, it's just a, it's a, I don't know. Well, it's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's to some degree, it's, uh, you know, if they lose a hundred thousand acres of corn, that means the price of corn's going to go up, right? Sure. So that's good for the farmers, but it means my tortillas that I love so much would go up as well. Yes. Mm. So I think that the, the you know, I love the, my homemade tortillas. California always likes to get involved a lot more than any, any other state as, as far as that goes. All right, so we're just going to call Brett up here. All right, I'm going to light this. Uh, oh, yeah, fire I'm going to light fire this up, fire. I'm going to fire up. How's it going, Mr. Chip? Oh, Brett, we've got you live on The Real Dirt with Chip Baker and Justin Jones. Hey, hey. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, How hey. you guys doing today? Doing good, man. Just setting the fire alarms off and, uh, you know, just smoking some hemp and some ganja and talking about hemp and ganja. It's great. Hey, I love to hear you're smoking hemp, man. Yeah, totally. Good to know. Good to know. I know you're familiar with my Real Dirt podcast, but I've decided to have a, a co-host for several episodes, uh, an, an expert on all things uh, cannabis and ganja. And, and, and Justin Jones, you probably know him from Dank and Kush bottles and Denver consulting. 
Oh, yeah. Justin, good hey. to meet you. Good to meet you. Yeah, you as well. So we had last week's episode, we spoke to uh, kind of a top of the food chain, so to speak, in the hemp industry, Mike Liago, about seeds and genetics and how to acquire seeds and where to sell CBD. And, you know, I got to thinking, I was like, you know, I think I got a friend down in Alabama of all places that's <laughs> growing hemp. Oh, yes. This year is going to be the first year. You got to have those applications in by February 22nd. It's pretty, some pretty exciting stuff being from the South. I mean, you know how it is down there. Just, just being able to talk to somebody and have them immediately look at you and know that they have a chance to kind of get in on the cannabis industry in some way and not have to be excluded from it like they have been in the past. It's definitely big stuff going on. So people are excited down there, I hear. Lots. Definitely lots. We're going to be working um, with at least a few farms down there. It's all kind of a little bit smaller scale, kind of ramping up. So nothing, nothing that you're seeing kind of like here in Colorado. But um, it's definitely the, the quality of people getting in there is um, is some some larger scale agriculture people who are going to be going to be in it to for the long haul for sure. So hey hey, let's back up a little bit so people understand who you are, Brett. Can you give me like a a, a little like. 30-second bio of how badass you are, Brett. <laughs> well, not that very badass, <laughs> but I've been in the cannabis industry here for since 2010 here in Colorado in uh, the legal industry. I uh, did some stuff as a manager for a while, a couple of large dispensaries in Boulder and uh, Breckenridge. I um, ended up leaving that and kind of getting into the wholesale game whenever that whole uh, kind of thing popped off in 2014, where they uh, got rid of the vertical integration in the supply chain here, which basically just meant that uh, grows could open up without being attached to a dispensary. And they needed people that had connections to sell their products. So I kind of left my manager position and started doing a lot of brokering. Dope, man. Dope, man. Pretty much. Just old school (laughs) brokering. I know who you got. I need to make a point a pound on it. And um, (laughs) let's kind of just go to town. You can pay me. That was happening at a time where the farmers were able to produce and not have the pathways and the verticals to sell. So... I'm sure we're going to find some analogies in, into what's going on with hemp, but definitely when all the farms down in Pueblo started growing medical and recreational cannabis, they didn't have any store connected to them, right? So is that, uh, is that where your company came along? Exactly. And that's what we did. We had a lot of relationships because the wholesale market already existed in Colorado. It wasn't that there wasn't a wholesale market. They just had strict caps on it with these laws that were like a 70-30 law where you had to produce 70% or wait, it was 70% of what you produced. You had to sell yourself. Yep. But you could wholesale out 30% of it. Right. So luckily, I was with a group in Boulder that was expanding their grow. So they were getting me to hop on the phones and develop relationships and kind of being able to sell wholesale flour. So whenever I saw that, I had enough kind of, you know, contacts with dispensary managers and owners where I could go down there and say, hey, just you don't have to pay me anything. I'm going to come down here and I will get your product and I'm going to go market it. And if I sell it, all I want is this little small percentage. And of course, to them, seeing the market kind of come up and not knowing anybody, they were, hey, okay, for sure. So did that for a little bit and was pretty successful at it. And then kind of decided to go a little bit bigger. And uh, we ended up getting a license before they did the kind of whole distribution licenses. We got a MIP down there in Pueblo to be able to 
kind of risk our own money and do it more on a, a bigger scale or we could actually go in and purchase product. So we just go purchase it, bring it back to the facility, repackage it all up and kind of get it out to dispensaries that way. That was the first wholesale license. You had to do a MIP and that allowed you to buy and sell and give you not full full freedom, but you had some ability, right? Yeah, kind of. It was a lot of stuff you had to hoops you had to go through and kind of random things. But now they kind of have it all separated out where you can have that distribution license and it kind of got on their radar pretty quick that it was a need kind of in the market and that's kind of how the med was working they just we were you know we would go in there and you talk to them and they'd tell you pretty much what you can and can't do and they would give you kind of a letter and you just file a position statement with them and they'd tell you pretty much hey this is our read on the law and if you, you know, we're going to keep working and keep on creating licenses and moving forward so so tell me how you got into hemp and how you're in Alabama now. Well, I'm still in Colorado as living, but I'm going to be doing a lot of business in Alabama, and that's still kind of home to me. So <laughs> hopefully you're from Alabama. Yes, I'm, I'm from Alabama. So that's kind of how I'm into Alabama was I had some connections there. And then the company I'm working with now also has a couple of people that I have some pretty high up agriculture connections there. And once hemp Stana, they started, you know, talking about it more, as you know, pretty much everywhere when this farm bill passed, they started kind of reaching out to me as I, they just kind of knew who I was. So we, we started looking at things, I guess, about maybe a month and a half ago in Alabama. I mean, it hadn't been long. No, man, they sprung the law up real quick. You told me about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of been crazy. There's other states that, uh, that are scrambling too, you know, because the guys are, it hit them fast. And, you know, most of these things take a, a year's worth of legislative, uh, work and sessions and then, you know, implementation. So I'm glad they, uh, they kicked, they they fired it off. Well, the one good thing about hemp is they seem to want to work with you a lot more. So they're they're just as interested as getting this thing off the ground and helping you as really you are getting into it. So I've been pleasantly surprised with almost every state's that I've came into contact with Department of Agriculture because we have to deal with a lot of them just to be able to sell the hemp genetics into the state. Mm. So right. we get to speak with the people that are kind of giving out the licenses and they're more than willing to kind of listen to you take advice, help you out and kind of go the extra mile. So it's kind of, it's actually impressed me a lot. I'm from Georgia. I've got lots of family in Alabama as well. You know, the South is, is often been considered very restrictive and the worst place to like have a cannabis offense. And, you know, people have stereotyped us as ignorant or closed minded. Tell me how like the, the locals, the government level, like the individuals feel about this when you start talking about hemp in Alabama? I am pleasantly surprised, Chip. I mean, you hit it kind of on the head right there. You know how it is when you're talking to people about anything cannabis in the South. You get some people that will just leave the building almost. They're not. They're, they're just not interested. You mean marijuana? <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Calling the police on you. And you yeah, yeah, you're totally. like, whoa, whoa, hey. Whoa, hey. This guy's but, going uh, to it's, it's changing. I'm telling you. It's I'm I'm usually pessimistic about these type of things, too. But I was um, extremely pleasantly surprised. And I can tell you the people that are looking to get into it now are not people that probably six, seven years ago I would have expected at all mm-hmm. to even be paying attention to it, much less right. getting into it. So. Right. That's exciting. I've talked to several friends and family down there um, that, that want to work it out. 
So we talked the other day about some acreages. Talk to me about the small and the big. Who's the small guy? Who's the big guy in Alabama? Yeah, so the small guys are going to be people that are growing little test plots, which are going to be between kind of one acres and five acres. So you're going to be rolling those just to kind of test your genetics out. I mean, as you probably know, in the hemp industry right now, the failure rate for first year farms can be kind of crazy. Yeah, so totally. especially if you're going to a new place with a whole new climate and everything like that, Rain. they're generally just looking to kind of get some tests. So a lot of them can be bigger groups, but right. they're not going big this first year, really at all. I think the um, the larger groups, even in Alabama, we've talked to some people that are looking at, you know, one, 200 acres. But then again, they're working with big consulting firms and people that, you know, have a little bit more experience. Oh, they're successful outside Alabama already. Exactly. I mean, there's there's been some good amount of hemp growing on that side that a lot of people don't realize, like Tennessee, North Carolina, mm-hmm. those places, Kentucky. Kentucky's actually really big in it. So, I mean, those places have like 60,000 acres, I think, planned this year in Kentucky. Yeah, I think they're right. right there with us in Colorado. So, Oh, yeah, I think even bigger. They Kentucky and like one of the Dakotas maybe are, are, are planting just like shit tons literally of hemp, blowing everybody away. Montana planted Montana. It's all grain and fiber. Going to Montana well, That's where it should be. I mean, those are the people who need to be throwing out hundreds yeah. of acres of it because they've got land that's well, they're really growing, cheap. And they were growing the Canadian fiber and – Right and seed and the seed stock, yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're doing the uh, not uh, not the CBD thing. So those numbers up there are different because of they that. look like oh, that how many they're thousands more? Out. It was more than everybody else, right, but it wasn't right. uh, it wasn't CBD. So man, yeah, that makes sense because it's just a lot more input cost. But I'm excited about that market as well. Just hemp's going to be nice in the future. Just seeing what all it can do. So when people listen to this episode, it's already going to be past the filing date. February twenty second is going to be coming gone. Tell me about the opportunities that are going to happen in Alabama this year? So they're going to have regular growing licenses and they're also going to have processing licenses. It's all going to kind of lie on where Alabama's at whenever they do their laws. So unfortunately, we don't even really know yet if they're going to give the applications out. So there's a chance that they could just be kind of um, getting prepared and kind of learning and just not have it their rules kind of released until a little bit too late in the planning season and it ends up a little smaller. So it may just be more prepping even for next year. But other than that, you're going to have processors ramping up, assuming they get the laws kind of in place. There's at least two processors that we're in contact with putting in licenses. And so it's just going to be full scale CBD industry. You know, you'll be able to do your biomass. They're going to come out and test it. I mean, knowing Alabama, they're probably going to be on the more stringent side to the test, which relies a lot on what the federal government releases here soon on kind of their farm bill regulations. It's going to go slow this year. This is the first slow year. Hardly anybody knows that it's actually happening. It's going to gear up. People are going to lose some money. Some some guy's going to make some money, though, and that's going to push the whole market. Oh, yeah, there'll be plenty of people that'll be successful. So I'm not too worried about uh, that aspect of it. I mean, they'll get product to market and the market's going to still be high enough to where as a farmer, it's going to raise some eyebrows around the the place. So that's not going to be an issue. I like hearing what you're saying on the small farms and, you know, people that are two to five, you know, acres starting off for the first year. What the best thing about that is if they do a really good job, they're 
they can even be in a fail up situation, even if you know, even if they oh, don't. Yeah. And do there's a great- couple people that are going a little bigger in Alabama as well. So there's not just all small farms. It's just in general, we're seeing a lot of people kind of go at it a little bit slower than you'll see kind of like here in Colorado or California or New Mexico and places like that. How much you think in Alabama, if I'm, if I'm a farmer and I've got a license, you know, for what, you know, I've got a license, I applied, how much do you think per acre it's going to cost me to bring that crop in? Well, you're probably going to be looking right about $10,000 an acre input cost if you're going at clones, which is what I kind of recommend just right now because of the market what's on the market and uh, and what's out there. You know what you're getting. You can be more uniform with it and things of that nature. You're looking, you know, right about that. And that's just kind of pertaining on your labor and your, your clones and your your kind of just your main ones. That's assuming you don't have to do anything severe with drainage on your crop, like any, um, or anything severe with kind of soil amendments before you're going in. Cause some of that stuff can definitely get a little bit costly. So you think it's about 10000 bucks an acre for fertilizer, labor, and seed harvest? Um, yeah, yeah, okay. right about to go through. That's kind of what you're right about where you're looking at. Mm-hmm. Feminized seed, dollar seed. We just uh, last week had Mike uh, Liago on talking about yep, that. Yep. So 2000 seed to the acre, that's 2000 bucks an acre. And then you've got to fertilize it. You've got to irrigate it. You've got to put in some sort of irrigation. Some places you might not. I've been in many fields in Tennessee and Kentucky and North Carolina where there was no irrigation at all. Yeah. Which may be the case in Alabama. I'm a little more worried about moisture than or moisture yeah, retention. Too much than moisture. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. That's generally the problem in the South. And then you've got to harvest it either like in a mechanical manner or by hand, dry mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You got to have then, the structures to dry it. Yeah, and you yeah. got to weed as well. Weeding's a big one that a lot of people miss out that can be a big labor cost. Yeah. You're not going to be uh, putting the uh, traditional herbicides down. How are you seeing things in Alabama as far as uh, planting styles? Are guys going to uh, put in more seed and grow them smaller for, uh, you know, more mechanical type of uh, harvesting or what, you know, what are you guys, uh, what are you seeing on that end of things? Well, that's what they want to do. You can tell a lot of them are wanting to be able to scale up. So they're wanting to kind of learn that style. However, they're going to be going small. And when you're kind of going smaller, it kind of lends to more I mean, it's easier to hand harvest. You don't have to worry about getting any type of modified corn harvester out there doing any serious work like that just to get the data you're kind of looking for. So it's going to be a little bit test, but they're going to be wanting the style where they can actually scale up to, you know, you can get 100 acres where they're pulling the plastic mulch and they're getting the weeding out of there without the labor and, you know, putting a cover crop down and stuff and, and doing it kind of on a bigger scale so they can scale up which is kind of what i like because these aren't really the in colorado you've seen a lot of cannabis guys kind of coming into it too and alabama they're all coming from agriculture you're not seeing yeah. too many like old cannabis guys trying to come into see that so in t- all throughout the south right? yeah yep. well that's the inter- really interesting part to me because i've been in fa- fascinated with agricultural technology my whole life even though i've like really specialized on cannabis the past most of my life is that, uh, man, the, the, the ingenious thought, the ideas that farmers come up with how to process, how to touch product, how to grow product, like the really good ones are literally genius yep. in how they operate. 
It's like uh, they're like MacGyver. I, I was calling yeah. them MacGyver farmers. Yeah, except you know? even even more so. That didn't even do them justice because there's actually no duct tape. You yeah, know, they yeah. Broke oh, out man, the welder. I a whole new respect for them. They're all like you know civil engineers and master fabricators in the same thing. They can solve just about any problem you got. I've only really been working with these type of large scale farmers about the past three, right. maybe four years. So you know, going into it, you think farmers. You can go talk to them, and they're like you and me, or, or me and Shepard, and they hear that southern accent, and you hear that country accent, and the people's first thoughts, like, you know, okay, I'm going to be dealing with kind of a good old boy and everything, and then you get a problem, they're like, well, I can just weld this onto this. Like, man, I didn't even think about that. That's, you know, you mm -hmm. should mass produce this and bring this to, like, market. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it's always, uh, it's, it's amazing when you realize what a farmer does in, on that level is, if you're out in the middle of, you know, a whole bunch of your acres a long way away from your barn and your tractor breaks down, you don't, you have to fix it out there, you know, yeah. and you can't, yeah. you know, so <laughs> you're, not, you're not driving it down to the store and having them change something. They you know? do. So these guys are so, so cool. Yeah, they're, to get, they're get, so get it done, successful mentality. You're We're absolutely right, man. problem solvers. I mean, I could, I could bring them just any problems and they can help you out if you give them kind of, they understand the language to it and you just kind of break it down. And it's like, well, they look at it from a whole different kind of angle. It's just, here's the problem, here's the solution. There's none of that middle ground of kind of weighing this out or maybe this will work it's like all right here's what we're gonna do let's get it done what Not were that. these uh what are these guys farming mostly uh or, or you know is there one kind of crop or farmer that in alabama that's really interested in this where maybe the machinery fits a lot of them are farmers who used to kind of farm corn or used to be kind of wheat or that's more in kind of colorado that you'll see but down there they're just doing kind of higher end haze and stuff yeah and it's nobody that was um well i know a couple of people are dealing with we're doing microgreens and things on that nature so there are people doing that in the nursery business that are that are really interested no real consistency on what they were kind of coming into it's mostly just people seeing something and wanting to put their land to better use get a, get an additional crops in the year you know just an add-on crop yeah well, that too, and I think it's probably even going to take, just because they have a lot of land that's been farmland in the past, but, you know, the past 10 years maybe it hasn't been used as farmland because the industry for whichever crop they were on kind of moved on. So it's just kind of been almost dormant farmland that's either been with cattle on it or, or things of that nature, just raising hay, and they're interested in seeing something to put it to actual use. Yeah. That's neat to, to know that uh, there's a lot of acres set aside because certain, you know, markets haven't held, like you said. And so if we can get, uh, get some of that good dirt uh, back into use, making something good for, for the planet, um, you know, that's going to be, uh, be something to, you know, really be proud of. And I just heard some, some statistic about how much more a hemp plant cleans the air than a, than a tree. Well, it's good for the ground, too, and it really doesn't use yeah. a lot of water. That's what you have to realize is, I mean, you got to keep water to it, obviously. But um, comparatively, yeah, for the high, higher kind of margin-type crops that you can bring a high value to, it's not using the type of water that you would see. And it's a lot of, like, the berries and things of that nature. It's just – and as the price – I think the price is going to stay up, as y'all were talking about earlier. Like, you're, you're puffing on some good hemp right now. That market's definitely going to be taken off soon, and I could see Alabama going big on that market because as soon as you figure out the drying and curing on a large scale, you're going to be able to grow it great down there. 
even outdoors. I mean, it's not like the environment for growing it's not not bad. It's just got a little bit of unknowns for for some people on on kind of scaling up with it. Got to take a little bit of leap of faith if you want to make fifty grand an acre. Or- Exactly. No doubt, man. You know, it, I mean, if you've got 10 acres, they're sitting around and you got, I mean, I saw this in Tennessee. I saw someone had a house in the neighborhood. Everybody had 10 acres and on his 10 acres, he filled it up with hemp. And man, <laughs> I mean, I, I literally think he cleared a couple hundred thousand dollars. He would have never done that before. Nope. I think the house is worth forty, fifty thousand dollars. Uh, you know, like they were had a normal farm generally, but like this really threw them over the edge. This yep. is great for yeah. them. There's been some great success stories in it. That's that's why you're you're able to see people be able to tolerate the the climate and the political climate and the ambiguity of what's going mm-hmm. on. That's what's holding these. As soon as that's gone. And it's more of a market kind of developed around it as well. It's going to be, you know, however many fold times bigger than it is. It, it's growing yeah. at, at more of a pace, much more of a pace than the cannabis industry from what I was familiar with. And that seemed like it was a skyrocket at the time. I know this much about 10 times more. I know like 10 times more people around me in my personal life. It's like everybody is taking CBD now. Yeah, everybody oh, finds a benefit uh, in their own way. It's pretty cool because uh, I I know that to be true. And I you know I was in Florida a couple months ago, and the doctors down there are telling all the old people that are retired in Florida to take mm-hmm. CBD, and and uh, you know it's really changing people's life for the better. Uh, you know we've always heard about the the seizure disorders and these other things that are that it solves or, yeah. or you know helps uh, you know for, but th- it's just general health, you know. I didn't understand it so much until someone explained it to me. If you have to take a bunch of pharmaceutical medications, it fucks up your digestion. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And like to be able to take less by taking CBD or supplementing your, your pharmaceuticals with CBD, like it, it's better for your digestion. It makes you feel better. Yeah. Oh yeah. And what yeah. it does for inflammation is just remarkable. Oh, I yeah. mean, oh, yeah. there, there haven't been enough studies on it just because of like we were saying earlier, the political climate's kind of mm-hmm. all messed up. It's but changing. I mean, yeah, it's changing, changing now. And and what you're being able to see is with the accessibility everywhere. I mean, I was in Bama this past weekend down there visiting a couple of farmers and stuff, and it was every, you know, couple hours you were hearing a commercial about C B D this, C B D that, and they just opened a new C B D store here, you know, all yeah. over the radio. So mm-hmm. it's the accessibility as that goes up, people start trying it. And then oh, yeah. really, if you try it, it's kind of hard yeah. to argue if you have some, any problems that can relate to inflammation, which is who knows? About a host everything, of everything. <laughs> well, and, 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 and arthritis to migraines. Yeah, and think about this. Yeah. Just this last week, we now know for sure there's going to be multiple CBD kiosks in every single mall in America. And I would say that you'll see that by the end of this month, that, that one deal just mm-hmm. went down with yeah, the right. largest group that owns all these malls. And I have, I have a personal friend that works at the other largest one of these things, and they're, they're in every one. So it's going to be pretty neat. I don't have any true inside information I could share on that, but I can pretty much tell you there's going to be CBD in just about every Everything. gas station as well. Yeah. There's some oh, large-scale people coming in. To in Oregon, it's large-scale there. Large-scale distribution are, are very interested in the, in the market now that the legalities are kind of starting to clear up a little bit. 
Man, it's so exciting. So, hey, hey, Brett, listen, I know you help people that are new to farming and new to genetics. Is there any way people can get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. They can feel free to uh, shoot me an email at bterry, B as in boy, T-E-R-R-Y, at frontrangebio.com. And I can give them any help that they're looking for on um, genetics or or any kind of information that they need on um, kind of where to look for their application infos or, or things of that nature. And we work all over the South. I mean, it looks like Arkansas is going to be picking up very big into this. So we're definitely going to be supplying genetics out and around. So feel free to give me a call and I can at least help you a little bit out through there. Give me an email and I can get you there. Man, your your phone's going to ring for sure. I have a large listening group in the Southeast for sure. And uh, man, they really, they, they, they really want to succeed at this. That's for yeah, sure. well, definitely. Good luck, yeah. man. Send them my way because I'm Ooh. I'm excited about seeing it in the southeast, and I think it's going to be kind of a whole new whole new crop for the people down there. That's going to help out a lot of these farms that are have been struggling and hadn't had any type of money in a lot of these rural areas. We can get some more industry back in there that has some high dollar crop to it. Yeah, man. Yep. Dude, thanks for talking to me, Brad. I can't uh, wait to hear our, have our next conversation. Uh, I always enjoy him. Thanks again, man. All right, Chip. Thank y'all. Y'all have a good one. Great to meet you. Thanks. You as well. Bye. Man, he, he's a really great guy. You know what I love about that is that he's been out here in Colorado and learned all this stuff, and now he's bringing it back to mm-hmm. where he's from. Back home. Yep. To help that out. And I've, you know, I think that's awesome. I would love to be able to do that, which, you know, I'm from Iowa. You know, it's probably not, not in the cards for me right now, but uh, just knowing, and I've already got, I get tons of calls since I'm a ganja guy, you know, oh, him's legal. Hey, call Justin. But, you yeah. know, uh-huh. boy, it's, it's what he's doing and what he's talking about down there in Alabama, it's going to be uh, to see everybody accepting it and being excited about it right now. No, You know, you know, it's going to be a really good thing and help some people out grassroots. There is such a desire to like do something more and to get a little bit more for farmers specifically, but anybody that has a small amount of acreage can participate in this. You're not restricted. Well, you could do one acre, you know, or two acres Mm -hmm. and actually make some money. I had a, I, I met a guy, he's a teacher, got like 20 acres. He does some sort of ryegrass costs him very little. He doesn't make a ton of money. But it's like enough that it pays for their family vacation right. on, on 10 acre. I think he does like 10 acres mm-hmm. and uh, he sells it down the street to these other guys. It's easy. If he did one acre of that in hemp just for fun, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? This year, because he's a teacher and he's, yeah, he might, he might he get like 40 grand it. for yeah. the acre. Well, right. And so right. then, you know, if it's like, whoa, maybe, uh, even if it is that high as $10,000 to invest in it, he made 30000 bucks. Yeah, well, teachers are always looking for stuff to do in the summer when they're off, you know. So yeah. a lot of, they it's all like, have that side business or so other It's like kind half of a great teacher's salary, $30,000, yeah. right? Hey, I mean, it's, uh, you know, so anyways, people, uh, it, it, it doesn't, it, it can exist as an opportunity for just about every person that has mm-hmm. some land that uh, Desire. Is, is zoned for farming and, you know, could be. Because I've, I've met these uh, companies, they'll just come out and break your ground and get it ready to farm for you yep, and get totally. your rows up. And it, it's called, they call it in the agriculture world, that's called custom farming. 
Custom farming. And they they will come and do whatever you want. Yeah, I need some custom farming. Yep. And so, you know, and then to hear, to know that all these uh, fields are going to get a cover crop over the winter and they're going to start to, you know, really uh, find out what this plant can do and just, I think, take it well way beyond where, where we've seen to now and it's just going to keep getting better and better. Oh, man, totally. But man, I've got some friends and family right, right now. It's uh, February it's February like 20th. I've got some friends and family that are trying to get some uh, licenses. I'm not sure if it's going to happen for them. I'm crossing my fingers. I really hope it in does Alabama? in Alabama. Well, what's the holdup? What, what takes so long? Do you have to go down and man, get you know, a uh, well, land well, use no, statement? Man, you know, here, here's what happened is nobody found out about this until like the 1st of February. Right. But is right? It so like then a, you only had 22 days to figure it out. So that was the biggest problem. Is it problem. expensive? No, it's cheap. And it was the cheap. forms hard? Easy. So just, uh, you know, yeah, you have to, you have to have a piece of property. You have to GPS it. Mm -hmm. You pay a $200 license fee. Yep. Then if they approve you, I think it's a thousand dollars. Now that's my rough understanding of sure. how it works in Alabama. But, uh, you know, it sounds like, you know, in a lot of times as I was working with the Oregon farmers years ago on, on the ganja fields, you know, we, we the, sometimes the county would take forever. So yeah. you would have to go to the county and get a land use compatibility statement, you know, to turn in that's mm -hmm. saying that you're zoned right. Mm -hmm. When the race was on in Oregon, yeah, all of a sudden a lot of those big counties got backed up because they had so much, uh, just they, they were, had a lot more work to do and, and process applications. So it doesn't sound like it's that. It sounds like people just got to, uh, well, it's also the acceptance of, of it. Of it is, yeah. it is the leap of faith. And, you know, it has been so restrictive in the Southeast, people are still scared of it. And this year, my prediction is this year that there's going to be some really successful people. Are they going to have to have a fence down there? I mean, no, that, you know, no. since there hasn't been an active, you know, ganja or hemp thing before, I could see them trying to have setbacks, you know, and Oregon tried yeah, to start with that, that saying deal. you had to be set back off the road for hemp and you had to be set back off your but neighbors. The farm and bill, I think that all like got and got squashed. Oregon had already squashed it too. They yeah, were just right. like, and you had to do more than two acres and all these people were like, no, right. I want to do, like, I just want to do one acre and one see acre. what's up. Yeah, totally. But, uh, but it, you know, it does look exactly the same. And, you know, yeah. we're talking about if you're going to plant a lot more plants uh, per acre, you're not going to necessarily want them to look, you know, like all this. this, but People will always, a lot of guys come through if the crop looks really good and they'll take the tops off and then they'll go out and, and you know, maybe they'll go manually take the tops off and for smokable flour and then they will uh, take all the rest. Know, then they'll extraction. do that. Yeah. They'll uh, mechanically harvest the rest. Yeah. Right. Great. Great idea. Yeah, man. It's blowing out. Hemp's blowing up all throughout the country. My prediction is that every hemp farmer in Alabama and Tennessee and Kentucky and North Carolina this year they're going to have these awesome, stinky, huge fields, oh, yeah. and all their friends and neighbors are going to come over, and they're like, yeah. I want to do this, too. Oh, it's going to be... In yeah. A, it's going to be... It's, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be infectious. What? Uh, how much CBD do you take a day? We have a CBD drop, like a tincture. I yeah. forget what it is. We change... You know, people give me CBD. Oh, yeah. So I just... Uh, I kind of just put it in my rotation, but right now we have a tincture... I'm not sure what the percentages of it is, but it is hemp derived CBD. Yep. And we just, you know, take some drops in our in our yeah. like smoothie pretty uh, much every day. Yeah. What about the hound dog? How much are you giving the hound? The, the dog? hound the hound dog gets uh, um, CBD in her food. Yeah. Um, at, at both meals, and then she's got some like growths on on her. Yeah. And we have seen 
that shit reduce dramatically by nice. applying the CBD. That's cool. Right. And man, pets are the most effective with it. Like you can see it in pets, man. Yeah, it's my, incredible. My mind, yep. My uh, 12 year old, 70 pound uh, golden doodle runs around like she's six, like she was when oh, she yeah, was totally. six. Cause I've got a younger puppy, you know? And so, you know, it's totally noticeable. And, you know, we're also doing the other things that they recommend for an old dog, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, the pets and, and, uh, I'm taking, I do 25 milligram capsule or gel cap mm -hmm. type of thing a day. Mm -hmm. Um, that works, that works well for me. And, uh, yeah, you, you know, know, I also, I smoke a fair amount of CBD. See, I don't. I, I, blend, just, I blend it with ganja, yeah. and I like about a one-third CBD, two-thirds ganja. Yep. And, the, you know, the really cool thing about it is most of the CBD, most of the hemp is grown with just water outside right. in fields. Right. So it really smokes incredible. It's yeah. real smooth. It might not have the taste, but you blend it in with ganja, and, man, it, can, it just smooths out the nice. edges of it. Yeah. Right, but for medicinal purposes, like that's that's a combo. Yeah, no, that sounds great, and uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely have plenty of the THC coming in. On, yeah, totally. on that end. So you know, the mm -hmm. CBD um, balances it, your it outlook really, into really cannabinoid receptors. <laughs> I, it's uh, it's cool. So. Yeah. Oh man, well, this is another awesome episode. I look forward to next week's episode. We've got uh, some. Should we say who? I think I don't know. Okay. You know? Hey, you know. Okay. Here's. Okay. We're going to have the hemp division of Vicente Cedarberg at our next episode. Holy moly. Totally. These are the brightest people on hemp and cannabis in the country, probably the world. And yeah. they're going to lay it all down for us. Hey, they're the ones. They've got ganja legalized. I mean, they, yeah, they totally. wrote the laws. And then I sold the first, uh, you know, made the first sale. And that we always have fun with that with these guys. But they're yeah. the real deal. They are the real deal. I look forward to it. Well, cool, man. Hey, let's let's smoke some more hemp, and yep. we'll wait, uh, and uh, we'll we'll get on next week's episode soon. All right, later, guys. Real See you dirt. Next time.